crystals our home If we gon' be a reflection Gotta make this dirt rock glow Just so you know Light shines bright everywhere we go Music for the people to illuminate the show Light shines bright everywhere we go Music for the people, making music for the people Light shines bright everywhere we go Music for the people to illuminate the show Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, I want to open up in a word of prayers as I get ready to open God's word with you. I mentioned earlier when we started the service, uh, this is Memorial Day weekend, and we just want to thank God in particular. Uh, for the men and women who've given of their lives on the battlefields and across this globe to give us the freedoms we have here in our nation. Uh, we, we don't want to let those, their memories escape our minds. We want to thank God for that. And we just want to commit to the Lord uh, what we're going to be uh, talking about in his word. So would you bow with me as I pray? Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning and for the wonderful, wonderful time we've had to sing your praises already, Lord. Uh, God, I'm just so grateful for Jesus and for what he offers us and what we have when we put our faith in him, believing in his death on our behalf and his resurrection for us, Lord. God, we also want to thank you in particular this weekend for uh, men and women throughout our nation's history who have given of their lives, God, um, for the freedoms we enjoy in this country. And God, we know this is not a perfect nation. God, we know that there are many different struggles and trials and, and sins in our country. But we also know, Lord, that there are many benefits and joys, and among them are freedom. And, and Lord, we thank you for that freedom, and we thank you for those courageous men and women who've been on battlefields on our behalf. And Lord, I pray specifically this weekend you might comfort their families, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself, and even in through their, their grief and their sorrow, they might, they might see Jesus who gave of himself to give them life. And so, Lord, um, do, do that miraculous work, we pray, Lord, in bringing comfort and ultimately bringing salvation, Father. Father, we lift up the churches in our community. Lord, we pray you bless the pastors as they preach your word. Bless the, the, the people as part of the churches. May they love each other fiercely. God, may they love the good news of Jesus with passion. And God, may they be about your work in reaching lost people who are far from you, God. And also raising up those who know you to equip them in their faith and ultimately make disciples. Do that work here and throughout our community, Lord. Uh, be lifted high, we pray, Father. And we know that without you, we have nothing. But with you, we have all that we need. And we confess that and rejoice in that this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. <coughs> well, hey, family, I uh, was thinking as we we're singing here, you know, as we come together each, each week, um, if you're like me, there are some Sundays where I'm just not feeling it. And it being a lot of different things. Are you ever been in that place? All right. It sounds like a lot of you are in that place right now because I'm not hearing much today. All right. Y'all feeling me with that? All right. There's times we just wake up and it's like, hey, I, 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 know, I know I've got purpose in life, but I just don't feel like I have a purpose right now. And more specifically, you might say, hey, I, I love Jesus. I love God. I just ain't feeling God right now. And there's some real struggles that we face. I've been in that place. And, and this morning was kind of one of those for me. Just a little tired, a little fatigued. And, you know, as we were singing, I was just praying, God, just kind of just 
chisel away at my heart, pull away those, those calluses that, that cause me to become lethargic in my faith. And, you know, as we were singing that song, Christ is enough for me, man, just the thought just hit me as, as we were singing that. I know I've got nothing else to live my life for. And though I'm not feeling real great in my faith from one day to the next sometimes, turning back is no other option. And I'm just thankful that God has just deeply seated his spirit in me to remind me of that. Uh, we were sharing with the kids this past week in John 6, where Jesus tells this large crowd who've been following him because he had just fed them bread with fish and bread. He, just, and fed, he fed this 5,000 crowd. And Jesus is like, you're just following me because you want to eat. And they're like, no, no, we're down. Jesus said, like, you know, for real, you, you want to follow me, then you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, hold up, we're all about this Jesus thing, but I don't know about cannibalism, right? And Jesus, of course, had a whole different thing he's talking about. He's speaking in a spiritual plane here, and they're thinking just temporary, physical, this earth. And, and it says in John 6 that many of his disciples le- left him. They went away. That, that's, a, that's a telling moment. And then it says he looks at the 12 disciples and asks, will you leave me too? And then Peter speaks up, says, Jesus, where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. And you know, I guess even for me this morning, I hope uh, for you that in those moments where you're just kind of not, not feeling strong in the faith, that you'd be reminded like, hey, I know though at the end of the day, I've got nowhere else to go. Jesus, you've got the words of eternal life, and I want to walk with you. Man, this world, this world is hard. This life is hard. Today we're going to talk about how to live out that life when it's hard. In, in a culture, in a context where, where just things just feel broken. The passage we're going to look at says our generation is twisted. Not like Keith Sweat twisted. That's for, for some of y'all folks who were, who were in high school in the late 90s, 2000. That's 2004. No, but twisted. Like, things just aren't right in this generation. And, and, and we look in our world and we say, man, things aren't right. I look in my heart sometimes like, God, is this, there's, some, there's some twistedness. There's some crookedness in my heart. I need you to align. And then we look at the news and we're just, we're just bombarded with brokenness. I mean, school shootings. It's been 22 this year, family. 22 school shootings in the United States this year. And then on June 6th, there's a video game being released called Active Shooter where you could be a school shooter. Crazy, huh? There's global talks of war, nuclear weapons. There's sexual misconduct among celebrities, ministry leaders, athletes. Racism is just being exposed more and more and more and more. Not that it's coming back or making a comeback. It's never been gone. We're just seeing it in different light. People not pleading the cause of the unborn. Just brokenness in our country, family. Brokenness in our society. And I look at that and say, man, I, I, I have a hard enough time with my own heart, let alone walking in the brokenness of our society. Like, sometimes I just raise my hands like, God, how do we do this? You ever been in that place? How do we do this? Last night I looked out my window into the sky and I saw one star. That's kind of a Chicago problem, a city problem. But have you ever been on a men's retreat, women's retreat, you've gone to camp as a youth or whatnot, and you're out in the middle of nowhere, it's a different story. 
You look up and you see stars everywhere, as they would say. You, you don't pronounce the V. It's everywhere. It's, I mean, they're, they're just, it's, it's, you just look up and the sky is filled with stars. Stars along with the moon light up the night skies. Just imagine if the moon was removed and the stars were removed, we would be in literal pitch blackness. I mean, there'd be a lot of other problems in the world, but uh, cosmologically speaking. But, but this, is, this is how it is. Stars light up the night. And the truth is, we live in a dark world that's broken, twisted, crooked. And if you are a child of God, which means if you put your faith in Jesus and you're following Jesus, you've trusted in him to forgive you for your sin, and you are living your life from that means you're a Christian, God is calling you to be that star hanging in the dark night. And that's what God wants for each of us. But a lot of us come to the point where we're like, God, I want to be that. I just don't know how to do it. It's hard to know how to do it. Thanks be to God that he tells us in his word. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. I mean, again, it's broken upon broken, and it's in our hearts. It's around us. We need Jesus, family. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, you need Jesus to give you life and forgiveness for these things. And if you know Jesus, you need Jesus to live out this life and forgiveness he's given us. So we come to the book of Philippians where God gives us somewhat of an outline of how to live in the midst of darkness. You want to find out what this is? Would you rise to your feet with me and open your Bibles to the book of Philippians? I'm going to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. It is towards the end of your Bible in the New Testament of the Bible, written by Paul. Philippians 2, if you don't have a Bible, check out the chair in front of you. There's one there. You can take it home with you if you don't own one. We'd love for you to have it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Anybody got that in the Pew Bible where you can tell us what page it's on? 981. This is what Paul writes to this church in the city of Philippi. He tells them this. He says, therefore, in verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out. Can you, can you say work out? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word. You may be seated. 
You notice there in verse 15, Paul says, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He says, so that. This is the purpose of the passage we're looking at today. The goal of what Paul is writing in this passage is that the children of God, that Christians would learn how to live in the midst of a generation that seems to be twisted. How to be light in the midst of darkness. That's the purpose. And so then the question is, how then are we to be those kinds of people? And he gives us at least two answers to that question to have other implications within those answers. This isn't exhaustive, but there are things that are going to help us as we learn to see what it means to live out in our world. The first thing he says there in verse 12, he says, obey him. He says, not just in my presence, not just when I was around you guys in the city, but he says, even more so in my absence. Now, you may remember, we've talked about this a lot over the last few weeks, if you've been here, that Paul is writing this letter from prison. And he's absent from them. He is separated from the people in this city. He loves them. He knows them. He has a burden for them. But he's like, I can't be with you guys right now. In fact, I don't know if I'm going to get out of prison. I may die here. I may be released here. But just as if I were present, I need you to hear my words and obey them. Whether I'm present or absent, you got to see them the same way. And then he tells them this. He tells them in verse 12 to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If you're going to live out the Christian life, if you're going to be God's light in a dark world, you've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, for some of us, this might catch your ears because you say, hey, I, I thought I was told something different when I was taught the Christian faith. You see, what we believe here, and we firmly believe at the brook, and many Christians throughout this world believe that the Bible teaches that there is nothing we can do to earn our right standing with God. You can't be good enough a person for God to say, wow, I'm really impressed by you. Thanks for carrying that person's groceries. I'm going to let you into heaven. God doesn't look saying, wow, you've blown me away. I'm so impressed. I cannot help but let you into heaven. This is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible says, There is no one who is righteous, no, not one. In fact, we see quite the opposite. We see God say, hey, you've rebelled against me. Your your sin is filth in my eyes. You are separated from me. In fact, you are a child of wrath at opposition with me. This is our standing before God until Jesus stepped in and took God's wrath so that when we trust in God, we receive Jesus' forgiveness. He took our place on the cross. So when God looks at us, he no longer looks at our sin, our filth, but he sees Jesus' perfection. So at the end of the day, there is nothing you and I can do for God to say, open these doors, come on in, you've done a great job on your own. We all believe this if you are a child of God today. You know there's nothing you can do. For me, this is one of the points of greatest comfort because I know my wickedness. You know your wickedness, and if you're denying it, you're lying, right? Uh, We know that we're broken apart from God. And so if it were up to us, none of us would be in heaven ever. But God made a way. This is the good news. This is what's called the gospel. So when Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, some of us are like, 
but the whole hope I had is that I can't earn it. Is he saying, work, work this out and, and earn your salvation? What is th- as a three-letter word in this passage that makes an eternity of difference. It's the word out, as opposed to the word for. He doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. Don't work to earn. Work in light of what's been granted to you. This, this is a world of difference. This is the difference between joy and anguish, between life and death. If it's up to you and I to work for it, we'll be in hell the moment we die. If it's up to God to work for it and earn it for us, and then he's given us the responsibility to live it out, then there's hope and forgiveness. Jesus says, or Paul says here, to work out your salvation. Don't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't melt a polar ice cap with a blow dryer. You cannot swim to Hawaii. These are impossible tasks unless something possible intervenes. And that's precisely where we stand before God. It is impossible to get to heaven on our own, but with God, all things are possible, and he's made a way. So what Paul, what's Paul telling us to do here then? He's saying, look at what God has given you. So Paul's writing to these Philippian Christians. Look what Jesus has done for you. In the previous verses, as Esmeralda was sharing with us, Jesus laid down his life. He became a man for you. He died for you. He bled for you. He rose from the dead. And now he has granted you salvation. And what Paul's saying, in light of that, work it out. Put your salvation to work. And then he says, work out your own salvation. See that word, own? What it tells you and me is that there is nothing that, that, that you and I must take responsibility for our growth as followers of Jesus if you are one here today. It means that we cannot wait for someone else to hold us accountable. We can't sit with the posture of, I'm going to wait for that phone call, wait for that person to reach out to me, then I'll take my spiritual life seriously. Paul's like, no, it's, it's your own. You've got to take responsibility for it. No one's going to give you intimacy with God. No one's going to make you grow in character by, your, by themselves. You've got to say, God, I want you. I want to live for you. I want to love others. I want to be devoted to Jesus. And this is part of working out our salvation, living out, living in light of what God has granted to us. Because when we have our eyes set on Jesus and what God has accomplished, then we can shine as lights in a dark world. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. The fact that we might be coming around Christian activity doesn't mean that we have a close relationship with God. Proximity with God does not equate intimacy with God. And so we then are being called here to say, God, I want to walk with you and take my relationship with you serious. And that's what Paul is telling them to do in light of the challenges they are facing. And he says, do so then with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling is the honest response to someone who's been confronted with God's glory and majesty. Saying, God, I don't deserve you. And here I come bringing nothing to the table, but I want to live for you. This is the posture of a heart devoted to Jesus. And this is what Paul wants to see happen in them. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
And to make sure they don't misunderstand what he's saying, as I've already mentioned to you, he says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you. So it's not something you're doing by your own effort. It's something that God who lives within you is working out in your life. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love that. So before we start thinking, we we know, okay, I'm not saved. I don't come to know God by my own effort. And Paul's like, before you start thinking you can grow in your faith by your own effort, that's not the case either. Both are works of God. In fact, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the writer to Hebrews calls Jesus the author or founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who starts it, he's the one who continues it, and he finishes it. Salvation was God's idea, it wasn't yours. And sanctification, which means our growth in our faith, is God's idea, it's not yours. Let that be liberating to you. That doesn't mean, though, that we stand on the sidelines, say, all right, God, do what you got to do. I'm going to sit here while you do it. It's saying, God, I want to be involved in what you're doing. I'm not much of a dancer, um, but I've learned how to fake it. I've gotten pretty good at that, I think. And don't tell me otherwise. Um, Salsa, in in particular, is something that I've gotten decent at faking. I've gotten those those steps down, you know. Um, But one thing I learned in Salsa is, you need both people to be dancing because if one person is stationary, it's a little bit awkward for the other, right? But also in Sasa, there, there is a leader and a follower, isn't there? The leader must lead in the dance with the turns, with the twists, with the steps, and the other person must follow. But there's no mistake who's leading the dance. In, in the same way, what Paul is saying here is when, when you put your faith in Jesus, it's actually God who's leading that. He's the one who's given you faith. He gifted you faith. And he's also given you the gift of, of walking and following him. But that doesn't mean you stay stationary. You follow his lead. You take part in the dance of living out this Christian life. But it's not about you. It's about the leader. So you follow him. This is what it means to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In fact, Paul says in another letter he wrote to another church who was getting this mixed up. And I think a lot of us get this mixed up. We can say, yes, I know Jesus died for my sins. Now it's up to me to do the rest by myself. And there were people in the city of Galatia doing that. And Paul's like, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying, have you started by believing in Jesus and trusting God to do all the work? And now are you trying to do the rest by yourself? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And so here, there's, this, there's a, a subtle warning to them. Hey, work it out. But remember, it's God who's at work. You follow his lead. Don't sit on the sideline, but don't think you're in charge either. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's good pleasure. See, God takes delight He's pleased when you and I enter this dance with him. God delights in it. I think, man, we we need to recover some of this understanding that God is pleased or displeased by our actions. We know that, that he's a loving father, and he's not a God who stands with an iron fist, excited and happy to, to come down with a hammer on us when we fail. But nor is he a God who's indifferent to our lives. The Bible tells us God's grieved when we push him out. God is grieved when we sin against him. God grieves when we're acting like fools. He's grieved when we don't believe. But he's also pleased 
We want to live out our salvation. He's pleased when we say, God, I need you. I'm here fear and trembling. I got nothing I'm bringing to the table, but I, I want to walk with you. I want to work this thing out. I want to live out my faith. God takes pleasure in that. Family, as we go about our day and our week, just have a, have a sense of the fact that your Heavenly Father sees your every step. And He wants you to live for Him. He delights in that. And when you don't do that, just repent. Ask His forgiveness. And God, I, I failed to do this, Lord. Forgive me. I want to walk out. I want, I want to live for you in these ways. God is pleased in this. In fact, throughout the Bible, there are different times where it says God is pleased in these different things. Like in 1 Timothy 2, it says it pleases God. It says this thing is pleasing to God who desires all people to be saved. Like God desires for people to come to know him. He, he's not rejoicing over hell right now. God is pleased when someone comes to know him. So be a part of leading others to him. Hebrews eleven six 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, which means faith does please God. Or Psalm 104, verse 33 and 34, it says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have, while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. God is pleased in devotion to him. Or what I love here, Colossians 1, 9 through 10, Paul is praying for this church in another city, and he says, from the day we heard about you, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a wor and worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Just tells us God is pleased when we seek to do good works for his name. God's not a God who's indifferent. He's a God who's very active in our faith, in our lives. So how do we live out in a world that's dark? When it feels like we are just surrounded by what's crooked and twisted and our own battles, we're, we're to stay proactive with our faith, to have our eyes set on Jesus and what he's accomplished on the cross and to live out this faith intentionally and not be passive about it. Again, remember, proximity does not equate intimacy. So that's the first thing Paul tells us. Like, hey, you want, you want to live out in this world? Work out your own salvation. But then he says in verse 14, in addition to that, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. He says, you want to stand out in our world? You want to be light? then don't grumble and dispute. And I promise you, I was tempted to grumble more this week than ever before because I read this, I feel like. Or maybe I'm noticing more than I ever do before because I read this. I was like, everywhere I turn this week, I'm like, I, I trying to bite my tongue. I'm like, I complain a lot. And I know you do too because we're friends and I hear you. <laughs> we complain about the weather. In January, it's, say it, you know it. Too cold. Can't wait for summer. Yesterday, we're like, it's too hot. Right? And then the sunset, it was like 70 degrees. We're like, that ain't going to last. We're just so difficult to please. We're displeased by our job. It's too far. Or it's too close. I feel like I just was home and now I'm at work. Right? I'm not getting paid enough. 
My boss annoys me. People annoy me. The parking, my pay, there's no perks. It's the weather, it's the job, and maybe it's the spouse. They don't meet my expectations. They're not making me happy. My spouse works too much. My spouse works too little. They don't do what I want. They do only what I want. And then we complain about people. (laughs) They ain't call me. They call me too much. Why am I in this text thread? Nobody texted me this week. I mean, we're just so difficult to please. Are there some amens out there? I'm I'm hearing something. (laughs) Now listen up. Disappointment happens in life, all right? I'm not downplaying legitimate disappointments, okay? But we have a choice to do something with those disappointments. We can complain about them, or we can bring them to God saying, God, I'm having a hard time with these disappointments. And so what Paul is saying here is do nothing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, because the implication is that's what our crooked and twisted world does. All things with grumbling and complaining, disputing. Our culture tells us the one who yells the loudest and pushes the hardest gets their way. Therefore, if you want your way, yell louder and push harder. And if someone else wants to yell louder than you, you start fighting. Social media. But we got to understand, family, our world is watching us. People notice. People notice what we say, how we act, how we respond. I think sometimes we have this idea that if it's not face-to-face, it's not as severe. We can text harsh words, or we can post harsh words. We could grumble and complain there, but it's not like we really did it because we just typed it. We didn't speak it. But Jesus says this. He has to say this about grumbling and disputing in Matthew 12, 33 and following. He says, he says, the tree, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, or the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak or tweet they tweet, or post they make, or pick they take. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. See, what Paul is saying is, if you want to shine in darkness, you can't blend in with the world and do what the world does. You must be set apart. I'm not talking about moving away somewhere and get into your own monastery. We are part of this world. We're in it. We must be distinct from it. And if we are grumbling and disputing, there's no difference. There's no difference. So what do you do when you're crumbling, when grumbling? And you found that you have, yeah, grumbling or crumbling, right? Uh, when you find that, like, man, I, 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 I'm speechless. Guilty. Guilty is charged. God tells you the same thing as I mentioned earlier. Repent. God, I'm sorry. I failed in these ways. And if you failed someone else, you go to that person and say, hey, I complained to you. I'm sorry for doing that. If you gossip, you say, I'm sorry, God, I gossiped. 
and go to the person. Hey, I said this about this person. I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. No excuses. Not, but they deserved it. No, I, I was wrong. But you know, the underlining symptom of complaining is discontentment, not just with your situation, but with the God who put you in it. When it comes down to it, when you're complaining about the weather, who makes the weather? When you're complaining about your job that was a blessing two years ago and now you hate it, who gave you the job? Or the spouse, or the friend, or the life? Look, life is difficult. And there are things that that don't meet our expectations. But when it comes down to it, if we serve a God who is sovereign and good, when we're complaining, we're saying, God, you messed up on this one. And yes, sin comes into this world and it takes what God has made good and it twists it. It makes it crooked. But there is a God that God calls us to find contentment in him regardless of our circumstance. That's why in this two chapters away from the one I'm reading right now, Paul says, I've learned to be content in all situations, whether I've had a lot, whether I've had nothing. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's a verse we've used in a lot of situations. But in context, it's meant for us to be content no matter what we're in. And when we're complaining... We're not saying we can do all things. We're not working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And ultimately, we're not being light in the midst of darkness. Paul says we need to be blameless and innocent children without blemish in this generation. It's not perfect and sinless, but blameless and innocent. And the difference between the two is one is perfection. The other one is imperfection, but acknowledging our need for Jesus, our, uh, and, uh, asking for his forgiveness, walking in light of the cross. It's saying, God, I don't want my life to bring blame upon your name. When I've done so, I, I repent. But my ambition, God, is that when people see me, they see you at work. People are watching. We've got to remember that. Paul calls the generation we live in crooked and twisted. We've got to be students of God's word. We've got to be also be students of our society. And notice the sub-narratives that are going on, the stories that are being told, the, 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 the news headlines. And I don't care if you're looking at Fox or CNN or anything in between, if there is. I don't know if there is. But we've got to look at the headlines and say, what, what's the story they're trying to tell? What's, what's the crookedness we're seeing in our generation? In fact, in the book of Proverbs, the father is getting ready to send his son out to the world. And he's telling his son, son, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. What he's saying is as we walk throughout our world, there is a straight path that God wants us to walk, and there are so many things around us that want to get us off track. What are some of the twisted and crooked things of our day? Just to mention a few, there's twisted perceptions of beauty, right? There are are ideas of beauty, in particular toward women, that are unbiblical and wrong. And yet, if we don't identify this twisted part of our, of our world, we then fall prey to it. We can't do that. 
twisted ideas of sexuality and marriage, twisted ideas of work, twisted ideas of speech, twisted ideas across the board. We say, God, let your word be what leads my steps so I don't veer off one way or the other. So how do we combat this? Well, as Paul said, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We don't look like the world. We know what pleases God, and we walk in that thing, daily spending time with him in order to know his will and receive strength to walk in it. I mentioned us city folk don't know what it's like to be, uh, to look up and see stars all the time. But that's what God wants us to do, to shine like stars in the midst of darkness. Paul says here that we should be innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. I love those words, among whom which means we're living among those who are walking in darkness. And then he says we do so holding fast to the word of life. So I think what he's telling us is as we, as we walk and navigate these paths, working out our salvation, not looking like the world, we hold fast to God's truths, his word, the gospel, and we bring it with us wherever we go as protection against temptation, and as good news to those who are far. We hold fast. You don't let it go everywhere you go. In fact, uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, there's a similar verse. It says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Those who turn many to righteousness are the stars forever and ever. Turning people to Jesus holding on to his word as we stand out in our society, in our day, in our world, and among its crookedness. I love what Paul does as he ends up this section here. He tells them this. He says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul's looking at his legacy here. He's standing in prison, writing this letter. He's saying, man, I've invested a lot of time with you guys. I would find great joy knowing And one day when I stand before the Lord, you guys would be fruit of the work of my life's labor. And that might sound a bit selfish, like, man, Paul, it's not about you, right? But what great labor but to point people to Jesus. And so as we live out, let's have a conscious awareness that when we and others stand before God, our lives say something about the labors of others and our own work before God. Paul goes on to say, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, if I'm going to die upon a sacrificial offering of faith, if I'm going to die having brought the good news to you and others, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. It's a heavenly perspective God is calling us to here. When the world feels dark, when your hearts feel dark, when we're not feeling strong in our faith, we need to have a a heavenly perspective knowing we're going to stand before God one day. And we look at this cross that Jesus died on to purchase our salvation, and we say, God, I want to work it out. I want to live that out for you. And as I live that out, I want to look different from the world. I don't want to complain and grumble and dispute like the world. I I don't want to fall into the traps of waywardness. God, I want to shine 
like a star. I want people to see me and then see you through me. Take heart, family, because I know sometimes, man, it's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating when we feel like we want to live this out and we're finding ourselves struggling. But in Philippians 1.6, Paul tells him, he who began a good work in you will complete it. You ever been frustrated with a contractor that didn't follow through on a project? You ever heard those horror stories? Well, there's one such story in Poland. There was a massive building over 300 feet tall that was being built in this, this city, I forget, Krakow, the city. It's the largest building in the city, but because of funding, they weren't able to complete it. They just built the frame of it. And it's laid bare to this day. In fact, it costs too much money to destroy, and it costs too much money to rehabilitate. They call it Skeletor because it's just bones. Similarly, in Cincinnati, they have the Cincinnati subway station. Have any of you been to Cincinnati? All right, you may have heard about the subway station, but I promise you you didn't ride it because it's not completed. They started building it in 1920, but... It was shortly after World War I, and there was, there was just no money. And in 1928, they stopped building the subway system. And to this day, in Cleveland, there is an empty subway system without train cars. In both these cases, these great projects were started, but they were left incomplete. Family, you must understand, if you're a child of God today, he doesn't leave his projects incomplete. So when Paul tells us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, you remember the next part, for it's God who's at work in you. It's God's will that you would shine bright. It's God's will that your faith would be strong. It's God's desire that you would stand out for his name, among whom you shine brightly in darkness. God's calling you to enter this dance with him. Let him take the lead. But don't stand on the sideline. Don't be passive. Take initiative. Be responsible in your faith. Say, God, I cling to your good news. I cling to Jesus to lead me. It's the same thing God wants to do for all of us here, especially those of you who don't know him. He wants to be the leader of your life. He wants to pull you from the crooked and twisted world we live in. He wants to give you faith and forgiveness, and he's calling you to trust in him. If you've never done that, we would invite you to do that today. Went to that cross on your behalf so you don't have to face God's wrath. Instead, you can be forgiven. Be adopted into his family. This is the hope that we have for all of us who know Jesus, and that's the hope we walk in, family. So let's shine like stars in the midst of darkness. Let's pray, family. Lord, we've decided to follow Jesus, and there's no turning back. Not that we can't turn back, but there's no reason to turn back. Lord, the love of God compels us. Lord, you are a God who has wooed us to yourself. So, Lord, when we, when we walk through our lives, as we go to work tomorrow or Tuesday, as we, as we go back to school this week and we, we consider the months ahead of us. We're confronted by our own weaknesses, and we're confronted by the brokenness of our world. And, Lord, we just say, God, help us. And, Lord, I thank you, God, that 
you want to lead us. You call us to work out this faith with fear and trembling, not to earn your love, but to live in light of your love. And so, Lord, keep a reign in our lives, on our lips. And may we really, God, have in our hearts the great desire to please you. God, give us that desire and strengthen us to that end. Lord, thank you, Lord. We know we're works in progress, but we know, God, you have every intention of completing the work. We submit and surrender to you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.